Welcome to the Work Revolution podcast, where we believe, in fact, we know, there's a better way to work and live. And we are here to challenge the status quo of obsolete workplace practices and ideas about leadership. I'm Lisa. And I'm Deborah. Along with you, our listeners, we're evolving our thinking about what it means to belong, innovate, and create change at work. Join us as we dispel the myths of meritocracy, hierarchy, and other bullshit practices that get in the way of all of us harnessing our full potential to make a better world. Welcome back to our listeners. Hello, Lisa. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, Deborah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Today, we are going to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, and that is how organizations terminate employees. It's something, an area (laughs) where I have a lot of experience and a lot to say. So we're going to set the scene a little bit for how this is typically done these days. I think a lot of people will be very familiar because it's either happened to them or a colleague or a family member. So most people will be familiar. And then we're going to talk about some of the fallout and the downside to that and talk a little bit about, are there some opportunities here to do things a little differently? So just before we get into that, the reason why I say it's something that I know a lot about is because I've had over 20 years in career transition consulting. So what that means is for anybody who's worked in corporate America or elsewhere in the world, but generally speaking in in corporations, and they go through a restructure, a downsizing, or just a one-off situation where an employee is being let go, not for cause, I'll make that distinction. That's a whole other thing, but for a whole variety of reasons, potentially, that they will call in support from a career transition person. And that's where someone like me would come into that scenario. So the employee would have the meeting, be told this news, and then I come in after the fact. And the organization that I've worked for would then support that individual with a career transition program that the organization is providing. So that's one of the pluses, right? There is career transition support provided, although I have seen a lot of change in terms of the support that's provided over the years. So shall I kick us off? Anything you want to say? Absolutely. And the only thing I would add, my experience is different. I don't work in that field. I don't know if I have the pleasure of saying this or if I should be wearing the cone of shame, but I have been fired five times in my career. Six, if you count the job when I was 14 and was fired from an ice cream, kind of a Dairy Queen kind of place. And my brother and I joke about this because I've been fired one more time than he has. So this might be running in the family, but I do have some experience on the receiving side of this. Yes. And people we know, lots of people we know. Yeah, exactly. I'm happy to share a brief anecdote when we start talking about the impact on individuals. Yeah, absolutely. When this happens in the way you're about to describe. I have a lot to say about that too. So let me just set the scene a little bit from two perspectives that I think is just important so that our listeners understand what we're talking about. I'm talking about mostly professionals. I'm talking about people who work in corporate environments, could be large financial services organizations, pharma, retail, corporate real estate, software, tech, a whole variety of industries. Yes, maybe some junior level people, absolutely as well. Middle management, professionals, engineers, CPAs, you name it. Two, I'm going to leave out the C-suite from this conversation. Sometimes that maybe is a little bit different, but I'm going to say up to VP level. I am not talking about unionized environments necessarily. I'm not talking about layoffs that happen in where unions are involved. I'm not necessarily talking about manufacturing, although 
with the exception of leadership roles in manufacturing. As I said, I'm not talking about people who are released for cause. So for cause is sort of a legal definition that we use sometimes that says, well, the person was caught stealing or something, something nefarious happened. Although I will say that I have been involved in situations where there was some really bad behavior going on and the person's being released, but that's not necessarily been addressed nor is it necessarily expressed clearly as the reason for that. Like they're still not released for cause necessarily. It's still just a situation where they're paid severance and so forth to let go, to leave the organization. So I would say that issue is not necessarily addressed. I'm also, and I think this is a really important distinction to make, I'm not necessarily talking about people who are released from the organization because of performance. Because what has become the norm, and I would say roughly steadily on the increase since about the mid-70s, is that organizations use restructuring, downsizing, whether it's in a in one area of the business, a department more broadly across the organization. It could be a pocket in one city. It could be globally. But they use this as a business strategy to be responsive to market conditions. It's a very short-term reaction, not always a more long-term strategic approach to take, but organizations use this because they want more flexibility really in their workforce. So I can say that sometimes, yes, people are released because of performance issues, but I will also say to that, and this is, I think, a really important caveat, that's not always communicated to the employee because it's not well documented necessarily. So I'm going to wager a guess because there's not really good data on this, but based on my experience, I'm going to say roughly half the time that there's a performance issue. It's not necessarily been communicated and I'll even get information from HR to say that the most recent performance review on file is solid. So there is not a track record there of poor performance, which really means that this problem potentially is just being passed on because it's never fully addressed and the the person doesn't get any feedback. So that's what we're talking about when I'm talking about employees who are terminated. The other thing I want to talk about is just setting the scene for how this is done. And I think this will be very familiar to a lot of people. You've seen this before too. I'm talking about the situation where you go into work one day, a meeting pops into your calendar and you go down and you your antenna might start to go up. A lot of people will say to me, oh yeah, when I got this meeting, I started to think, oh God, am I getting fired today? And immediately that fight flight response will start in that person. And sometimes they're just taken by surprise more when they walk in the room. And usually there is sitting a person from HR and the person's leader in most cases. It can be a very, very brief meeting. The manager will deliver something that has been pre-scripted usually. So that might be just a couple sentences, often I've seen the leader leave in less than a minute. So in other words, they deliver the message, today is your last day, business decision has been made to terminate your employment, a reason may or may not be given, the reason might just be business decision, and that the leader will then leave the room and the person will be left with HR to talk about their leaving package, a bit about their exit that day and how to handle that. Someone like me, if there's career transition being offered, might be waiting in the wings and will come in to meet with that person and talk with them privately after the meeting with HR. So it's always a scenario where you're just not sure what to expect when you walk in the room. 
And usually what happens is the person is not allowed to return to their desk. That's the most common scenario. And somebody else will go get their immediate belongings. So it might be another individual in HR. It might be the person's leader. Sometimes they refer to this person as a runner who will go get, if the person has a purse, a cell phone, personal belongings, their boots, their coat, their lunch, and bring it to the room. And if there's anything else, then the organization will say, well, okay, we'll we'll arrange another time or we will arrange to have it shipped to you. Often the career transition person might be asked to walk that person out the door after the meeting. Sometimes the person will be, it's a little less stringent than that and the person will leave on their own, but either way, they're leaving that day. The one last thing I will say about this is this is often an individual who's been with the organization for a while. Maybe they've been there 10, 15, 20 years. Just just this just recently I had an employee who I met who'd been with the organization for 20 years. And again, not a performance issue. This is we've made some business decisions to make some changes and restructure. And I can think of a couple individuals recently, actually. One guy who sticks out in my mind, again, last year, had the organization for a very long time, had a really good track record of performance, and said to me, I just did not see my career with this organization ending this way. And so at the end of that long tenure and feeling as though you've put in good work, you've put in discretionary effort, you've given that organization, not just the bare minimum, but you've put extra into it, that this is the way it ends. This is the departure. There's no celebration. There's no retirement party. There's nothing like that that's in recognition of that. It's it's that type of meeting and leaving the same day. And so when I position it that way, I think it sounds a little bit crazy that we do it this way. (laughs) Yeah, I would amp up the little bit. Okay, amp it up. What do you got to say? (laughs) Yeah, so I was actually going into more feeling than thinking as I was listening to you because I remembered once one of my moments of being released to the marketplace, otherwise known as having my ass fired. It was done over the phone. And two days later, a taxi pulled up to my house with a box of my stuff. And I had a lot of books at work. Like I actually had to send a list by memory of what it was, what which books were mine. And it just after not a lengthy relationship, but over a three-year relationship with the employer, it just felt felt like a really bad breakup. Like it didn't need to be that way. And as I said earlier, I've, I've been let go from organizations, sometimes for restructuring, sometimes because I didn't fit with where the organization was going in the future. Or one time I was let go because I questioned a decision by a senior leader and I did it in a very tactful way, but it was considered to have been in subordination. I am grateful for every time I was released to the marketplace that my employers did the right thing and gave me a modest severance. So that's part of the process when I was in professional roles. I know what the psychological experience is of it. And in one of the cases, it took me about six months to get over the feelings of hurt and disappointment. And in fact, I was just recalling when you were telling that last uh, anecdote, a very, very good friend of mine, similar story to what you just said. After 23 years, there was a quote unquote business decision and her and another person were let go. And there was absolutely no 
contact after the layoff. It was as if she did not exist and was sucked into the void, that nothing she had done in that organization was rewarded or recognized. And it was painful for me to watch that. It was obviously painful for her, but to watch that, this is an organization that I'd worked in a few decades before. So I knew the place and I thought could have done way better by her. I do want to start by saying, yeah, so thank you for all those details and for painting us a picture of what it's like. I've had the HR manager after the boss has said, by the way, you're not working here anymore. And then the HR manager is like, oh, and then pulls out an envelope. Let's just go through the details of your termination. I think the last time it happened, I'm like, listen, I'll read it on my own and I'll let you know once I talk to my lawyer if it's good. <laughs> because after <laughs> you've been through this a few times, you don't have that sort of huge explosion of bewilderment. Like you're just like, okay, I've been through this before. I know how it works. And in fact, I still have the name of my last employment lawyer on my phone. So all good. And by the way, I'm not belittling people. I'm only saying it this way because the first time it was an absolute shock. The second time was an absolute shock. The third time was an absolute shock. After that, I got that I would get hired again somewhere or I would find work. So anyone listening to this feeling that your name is mud in this town, that's not true. You have skills and abilities and talents and a history that many employers want. I just want to add that. But I do want to say something when you talked, Deborah, about it's a business decision. Now, I get my back up a little bit when I hear this sort of lack of human connection in that language. So it's just business. It's a business decision. To me, that's the coward's escape clause because a couple of reasons. The person who's saying it is not someone who's losing their job and would probably feel differently and wouldn't say that if they were. It's usually said by someone who's acting in a manner that advantages them and disadvantages you. And it's this kind of weird logic because nothing is just business. Businesses are run by people. Decisions are made by people. The singular of people is person. It is personal. When people are let go, it's personal. I'm not saying it's that there's something bad about you and you're a bad person personal. What I'm talking about is that organizations will really do all their best to woo you and to bring you in through the recruitment phase and you're welcomed in and you're onboarded and you're an asset to the organization. And then you're treated like a disposable wipe when your time comes to be laid off. So I just want to say I feel very strongly about this, that every business decision is personal because it affects people. Now, the other part of this, and I thought this was really, really interesting. So there are a lot of layoffs going on in the world of tech, Amazon, Google, Meta. And I was just reading actually today, I was following up knowing that Google had laid off thousands of people. And it was done in a sort of email-ish kind of way. Organizations, I know we've heard this about Twitter, where people try to log on and, oh, no, you can't get into your email anymore and you can't access any of your files. And then you find out later in the day through an email or somebody who's also been laid off calls you and tells you you've been laid off. So there's a lot of this really bad, inhumane behavior. But what I thought was really interesting in the Google case was that the employees wrote a letter back to the CEO because of how the firing was done. And part of the way that it was done, as I said, was impersonal, but it didn't take into account that some of the people who were being fired were Ukrainians and were in the United States on a work visa. And without the work visa, 
they would be returning to a war zone. So this wasn't taken into account. The other thing that wasn't taken into account, the hundreds of job postings that Google had listed for people who might have been able to fill these roles. So no effort was made to match the talents of people who were being laid off to the roles that were available. And then there was people being laid off while they're on a maternity leave, while they're caring for a dying relative. Like to me, this is the stuff I find really gets under my skin because companies are very quick to make a ton of profits off of people's discretionary effort. But at the slightest whiff of recession, or as you said earlier, we're being responsive to market conditions. They're not acting strategically. This isn't part of a, I guess, a plan that includes, you know, the market might dip for a little while, but we believe in our people because they've made us into what we are. No. No, it's like jettison the extra cargo without a thought to the human lives that are behind it. So I get that businesses have to make tough decisions. To me, it's the lack of humanity that we bring, particularly to layoffs and firings, I think points to potentially a better way of doing things. So thanks for asking for my thoughts, Deborah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did have a few thoughts. (laughs) As always, of course. I mean, to your point about it being personal, it always feels personal. Like, yes, business decisions might be need to be made. It's how it's done. It's how it's communicated. I mean, we could over argue over the business logic. Is it long-term, short-term without even going into, is it really sound financial decision? I mean, there are studies that say not necessarily. There's a huge potential downside to that. Even from a financial, stock prices tend to dip. One study showed that there's a drop in profits for up to three years sometimes in organizations after a restructure or a layoff. There is a 20% decline in performance with the remaining employees in the organization. So there is a potential cost and downside to this too. And not to mention the fact when we talk about long-term, short-term, I have in the past few years, I've seen this happen a few times now where the individual who's being released, again, as part of a restructure, not performance related, has been with the organization for less than a year. And I think if I recall correctly, the record is four months from my personal experience. So meeting someone who literally has only been in the job for four months. So what that means is that the organization went through a hiring and selection process, which takes time and there's a cost associated with that. Hired the individual, onboarded them, started investing in their training, development, getting them up to speed. And within four months to a year, has decided that the organization is going in a different direction and releases that person. This is someone who may have resigned another perfectly good job that they might have been in for potentially a long period of time. And so when I talk about that short-sightedness, I do see see things like this happening. And with the Twitter example, Twitter has been obviously really interesting since Elon Musk took over, and I'm certainly not necessarily following super closely, but I am on Twitter and I do see a few things. I did see one exchange there where a former employee of Twitter was talking about their experience where they spent about a week trying to confirm that they had indeed been fired because, and this is an extreme example, I'm not trying to suggest that this is the norm necessarily, but are we moving towards this kind of thing becoming the norm? Maybe, I hope not. But in this particular case, the person went to log in one morning and just couldn't log in, but did not receive any communications and was trying to confirm with their HR representative, with their leader, is this what's happening and couldn't get confirmation about it. So it left in this sort of limbo. 
So the way I think about this is when I think about the effect of this, I'm just going to call this a workplace practice. This is kind of how we let people go in organizations for, like I said, not with cause, but for a variety of reasons, not necessarily performance related. So I think of the effect in three ways, and maybe we can dive into these each a little bit. The first is the impact on the individual. And one could argue that, well, why does the business care about that? The individual's gone. Why do we care about how that, how it's landing with the individual or the impact? And quite frankly, the organization doesn't usually know the full, doesn't know the impact on the individual. Someone like me might know it, but that feedback does not necessarily go, that feedback doesn't go back to the organization because my conversations with that individual moving forward are absolutely confidential with rare exception. If I think the person's, you know, going to do harm to themselves or property or something like that, but I treat those conversations as confidential. So the organization doesn't necessarily know the full impact. However, I would also say that these individuals go from company to company to company, and they take those experiences with them when they walk into other organizations. And over time, it's contributing to a culture that has certain beliefs and attitudes about work and about corporations in general. We'll get to that a bit later. The second way that I think the impact needs to be thought of is what is the impact on the people left in the organization. We call them sometimes survivors. What does it mean for those people? What does it mean for the culture in the organization? And then lastly, I would say, what is the broader impact? The fact that we have a a couple decades now where this has become more and more common. Younger people are, have seen this happen to their parents. They're developing attitudes about work and about corporations. They're now coming into the workforce. People have seen this happen to people they care about, to coworkers. What does this mean about how we feel about the world of work? And we've certainly seen a lot of fallout since the pandemic of quiet quitting. And there is an anti-work, I'm going to call it a movement. I think it's fair to say there's an anti-work movement, especially amongst Gen Z and the great resignation and whatever other terms we can come up with. So those are the three areas that I think are important to think about going from the more micro view in terms of the individual to a really, really macro view about how we feel about our world of work in general. So let's start with the individual. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I'll just, again, speak from personal experience. Like every time that I was laid off, I kind of once bitten, twice shy or twice bitten, whatever. I brought less of myself into future roles because in spite of organizations saying, we want your great ideas, we're looking for innovation. I can be very passionate about the work I do. And that I would tone that down. That just got toned down because I realize it's not true. You can have a great boss, but the organization is full of people with complex personalities and traumas from childhood. Let's face it. You walk into work, you're not this sort of clean slate of productivity that's just there to make money for shareholders or make the world a better place. People bring a lot of stuff and to the workplace. And you learn over time that you just don't do that as much. So that's one thing that employers lose going forward. The other thing I would say about that is that it is connected to also how you talk about work or how you have, you're surrounded by family. If you're talking negatively about your work experiences, it does jade the people around you. I mean, you and I are in the business of helping people who are either just released from an organization or people who are unhappy at work. Work causes a lot of stress in people's lives. And it doesn't need to, but a lot of us are carrying these painful, ashamed stories of 
how we were treated in the workplace. And I think that has an impact not only on the individual and the people who love them, but the broader piece, which we'll talk about in a second about society. And then I think the third part of what you carry with you into your next job is you might decide to be a bit of bare minimum Monday person. You might keep your energy for either for those people who have side hustles or hobbies, is that the discretionary effort that you might have been really willing to give to an organization, you're starting to learn that you could just be ejected by the whim of someone's finger on a lever. And so you might have a tendency to just not give what you have to give. And again, I think that's a loss organizations. The word that comes to mind for me, and I'm not sure if you use this word and I missed it because I gap out for a second there when I was just going to a file to see if I had a, a stat on something that I wanted to bring forward if I had it handy. But I think it's distrust. We carry that. So there's general distrust of organizations and of corporations so that you're right when you go in with, oh, we're, we're an employer who does this and that, that there's often a sense of, yeah, well, yeah, sure you do. Let's see. The proof will be, yeah, show me. I'll believe it when I see it kind of a thing. So we do see that sense of distrust. So on an individual level, I'll say that I've seen everything from absolute delight, walked into a room where someone's just like, yippee, I got my package and I am out of here. You know, that commercial, I think it's a lottery commercial where the person's like <laughs> dancing out the door, they've got a boom box on their shoulder. And I have seen that. I mean, it's not that common, but it certainly does happen where, and that's not to say there isn't still some distrust that's carried forward. It's just that they've been hanging in there, maybe they've survived a few downsizings, restructurings. They've seen people, they've sort of been waiting for their turn. The writing's been on the wall for a period of time and they've just been sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop and they've mentally prepared themselves. And maybe again, if they've been there a long time, they might know, okay, I've got a fairly robust package coming. And so they've gotten to that point already where they're seeing there's opportunity potentially in this and there's a light at the end of the tunnel and they're just, they're sort of already ready to move on kind of thing. So there's that. And there's everything in, from that to complete and other traumatization and despair. And I recently had a gentleman, when I spoke to him for the first time, it had been about four months since he had left the organization. And he shared with me that he still had not told his teenage son who lives with him. So that is an indication of the amount of shame that sometimes people can carry related to this. There is a real grief process. With any significant loss, we go through a grieving process. And job loss is absolutely the same to varying degrees, but it is a loss. I've also seen a lot of people really struggle to come up with a reason why. And sometimes they make up a lot of reasons because your mind starts going all over the place. Maybe it was the time I was five minutes late two years ago. Maybe it was the time I had to leave early to pick up my kit. Your brain starts going to places because that's what our human brain does, looking for reasons. And there's not a reason and they don't get answers to these questions, but it's tormenting to the individual. Our brains, as we've said before, based on neuroscience, really does not like uncertainty. And to be in the job market is a time of, of great uncertainty. We don't know what's going to come next. Is it going to take one month, six months, a year? I say to everybody, plan on four months to nine months to potentially a year. The more senior you go, the more specialized the type of work that you're targeting. It takes a long time. The job search process is slow. 
And so there's a great deal of uncertainty. And there's so many other factors that come into it. I'm often struck by how little leader knows about the individual when I go into a meeting like this. So for example, the leader might not really know much about the person's personal life at all. They might not have you know, details that might be helpful when preparing for a meeting like this. I recently met an individual who was absolutely blindsided and shocked and was in the middle of a very difficult separation, which the employer did not know about and was under a restraining order and plus, 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 like a lot of things going on for this individual. Again, not released for performance or for cause. And so it's compounded by things that are going on in individuals' lives that make this an incredibly a stressful event for people. And you already spoke to then the attitude shift, what we take with us to that next employer and the attitudes that we share with and how we feel about our the employer. Sometimes people share this on social media or they just share it with, within their networks. So yeah, I think that's sort of how I would describe it from the individual level. So let's talk a bit about now what's happening with the survivors and the culture within the organization. Actually, I just want to make one last point on the previous one, which is when you talked about grieving. I know for me and for other people I've spoken with, sometimes this affects men more than women is your sense of identity takes a real blow. And I think that's a really painful part of the grieving process because you think of yourself as someone who, whether it's the role you played or that you're a breadwinner or the profession that you're in, and that often takes a long time to undo the hurt that comes with a loss of not just of status, but of identity. So this whole language about victims and survivors, as far as I'm concerned, everyone's a victim of layoffs, even the people who remain. Part of it is the psychological shock that relationships that you've spent many years developing, teams that you've worked with, people who you like. I mean, a lot of people become friends outside of work. People meet their spouses. And there's a lot of social connection, a lot of social needs. So there's the distress of losing the people from a a social emotional. Then there's the big concern about who's going to do the work now that those people aren't there because they're not being replaced. They're just, again, sucked into the giant black hole of the unknown. And then the third is kind of, well, what's going to happen to me? Like, is this just a first round? It's it's very, very difficult for a lot of people. And organizations in the past was only maybe word of mouth, but people are treated poorly in layoffs. Both the survivors, quote unquote, and the victims, quote unquote, have means like going on to Glassdoor or Indeed to voice what they've been through. So organizations, brands can take a real hit as well by not handling these things well. And I'm always troubled when, and I've been in the room when a mass layoff was announced and this sort of like, you know, for for those of you who are leaving, you're getting a package, like they're kind of squared away, but for the people who are staying, like there's nothing for them. There's no, you're staying package. You're having problems. We've got an EAP program for you. That's on you to deal with the fact that you're having any distress. But really, I mean, I was told in one of these situations how lucky I was that in spite of a third of the organization being letting go, that I had been chosen, oh, chosen to stay as if that was like, I'm supposed to fall on my knees in gratitude, in perpetuity. I just felt I was kind of in shock that that this was happening. So yeah, it's, you know, what does it mean for people who, who leave? What does it mean for people who stay? Both of them go through a period of loss and shock. And there's a lot of distress all around. 
Absolutely. I would agree with that. And just to your point on sharing via social media. Now, some people won't relate as much to this because depending on your age, you might not be as familiar. Although a couple examples, I do follow a thread on, I don't, I guess is the right word is not a thread. I don't even know myself. It's a handle on Twitter that's called fuck you, I quit. <laughs> and it shares stories and examples and actually I mean, they will black out or get rid of anything personal or identifying the identifying features there, but sharing examples of communications between employees and bosses and people sharing their stories about how they're treated in organizations. And on Reddit, there is a strong anti-work movement there and components. So absolutely, these things are being shared. So yeah, in terms of the survivors, we do see this phenomenon of, okay, well, it's only a matter of time. The organization will shed employees at certain periods. There are certain times of the year or at a certain cadence. And we're all, many people are just sort of thinking, okay, so it's just a matter of time that I could be impacted by this. And this is how I'm going to be treated. Like when they see their colleagues walked out the door after solid performance and giving what they had to give to the organization that nobody wants to be treated that way. And so it impacts how they feel about their employer and about work in general. Let's talk about the more broader, let's talk about big picture here, because this has been going on for a long time and it's become more and more common. I'm going to relate this to some of the Gallup research I just actually was looking at earlier today around well-being And so I think it's fair to say that this is a workplace practice that can have an impact on how employees feel about their employer and their sense of, does the employer care about me as an individual? Do they care about people? This was actually just released last week. So we're in March of 2023. So this is Gallup Research. Only 24% of employees say they believe their employer cares about their well-being. There's a caveat to this, but it's down from 49% at the height of the pandemic. So between the years of 2011 and 2019, we saw a very, very, very gradual increase in how employees felt. Did they strongly agree with the statement that their employer cares about their overall well-being? Now it was low. It was below 25%, but it was gradually creeping up. Then at the height of the pandemic, it spiked from about 20 some odd percent to almost 50%. And then since that time, it has crashed again and and come back down to where it is today at 24%. That's not a lot of people who are reporting that they they feel that their employer cares about their well-being. And this speaks to this idea about just general attitudes about work. I hear that. And there's a little part of me that that has this tiny little scintilla of optimism around this, because if it went from 25 up to 50 of people thinking my employer cares about me. Leaders have been doing something during that period of time to demonstrate care and attentiveness and respect. So it's not that they can't do it or that they're unable to do it. It's that, I guess, over the course of the pandemic, there was a reason to show caring and empathy. And it's like, oh, 
pandemic is over-ish. Now it's back to the hard-nosed, everyone's a cog in a machine. And that's disappointing. To me, listen, you know, people talk, what's the business case for employee wellness? The business case for running a profitable organization is happy, engaged employees. So we know this. Keep knowing it. There are more and more studies that show this. And I don't know, like, what is preventing organizations from putting people in leadership positions whose job it is to be thoughtful, to be caring, to show empathy when people are going through a life crisis. Because these are the people who are making your profits. These are the people who are serving your clients. The more well I am treated, the more I am willing and able to go the extra mile. So it's a good business decision to treat people well. Like it's not a fluffy. And that speaks to, if I could just, just, I'll just interject with one piece that I meant to mention before it's related. This speaks to what's the leader's role in all of this? Because I painted this picture of how the leader, what their role is in that termination meeting. And keep in mind, this might be somebody who the employee has reported to for a long period of time, had thought they had a good relationship with. And by the way, leaders do this because they're instructed by HR to do it this way. They've been trained to do it this way. The career transition industry, quite frankly, has trained people to do it this way. And we could get into legal precedent. I don't know that we'll have time to dive into that today, but I have talked to employment lawyers about this in the past. And there's not necessarily a strong legal precedent to do it specifically this way. So, but the thing that concerns me is the lack of accountability on the leader. And so somebody made a hiring decision. Somebody hired this individual. This individual went through a hiring and selection process. The leader made a decision. The leader has been managing, performance managing this individual. And if something's not working out or a business decision, quote unquote, is being made, there is a sense I get now if the leader just wants to wash their hands of it. They want to be in and out. The system is allowing them to do it that way. There's no accountability necessarily if they made a bad hiring decision, for example, if they weren't effective as the leader. And so they don't have to have those tough conversations. They just can sit in that meeting for 30 seconds to a minute and walk out the door. Not to say it's not hard on people. I've talked to many leaders who agonize over this. And so I don't mean to diminish that. But what I am noticing is that there is this lack of accountability, this really lowering of expectations on leaders to have difficult conversations and to take ownership of these decisions, which is a hard thing to do because if you're in a people leadership role, that's part of the job. For sure. I mean, I worked in an organization, and I recall this one leader who insisted on doing all the reference checks themselves and doing all the hiring. But when it came to letting people go, it was like they said, it's HR's job. Like I've moved on. Like you want the slight bump in salary. You want the title on your business card, your email signature. You've signed up to do some hard things and to do them tactfully and with respect frankly. It's shocking to me. I have this growing awareness that we've sort of segmented society into these are the areas in which we show compassion and love and attentiveness. It could be parenting and family and people who are ill or paying for causes. There's an earthquake in the country or a flood. Like, you know, that's where we bring our love and compassion. But the workplace, uh, 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 this is where we get to, as I talked about earlier, do the cowardly thing and treat people in the way 
way that we would never want to be treated ourselves. That's not based on what we know about how people feel and how people work. And the vast majority of people, and I would put myself in this group who've been laid off, it's not even that we were laid off. That's the issue. It's really the how it was done. And we can do a lot better on how we treat people. Yes, it's upsetting to lose your job. I mean, you've got bills to pay. You might have a family to support. You might have some financial commitments. You're getting yourself out of debt for an education you paid a lot of money for. It is not pleasant to lose your source of income. But in addition to that, to be treated as though you're a thief or that there's something morally wrong with you, or that you're somehow defective. To me, that has to change. And I was really interested when I did see that letter from the Google employees that, you know, 1,400 people have signed signed it saying, we get this had to be done for the purposes of profitability, but you could have been a lot more humane and less of a jerk. The word was not jerk. It was something that had a slightly more adult... I think we already have an explicit. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to swear without swearing. Right. (laughs) So you get what I'm saying. And like, we've got such a short time on this planet. Like, can we just find ways to be a little kinder and more tactful and have some dignity around people? And yes, we make mistakes. Sometimes earlier in our careers, things come out of our mouths that may be not optimized for thoughtfulness, but organizations have been doing this a lot. HR has existed for a long time. We've had to do this better. It's, It's really time to stop saying, oh, well, we have to walk the person out of the building for legal reasons. No, you don't. You do not. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we might be able to do it better. I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is I don't feel as though the employee is usually put at the center of this process. I think, well, it's definitely the organization and the leader. I mean, I've seen situations where employees are asked to travel long distances, you know, drive. Maybe they've been working from home. Or they're a person who maybe they work in a smaller regional office, but the boss is somewhere else. Drive into the office for an hour or two hours to receive this message and then drive back home. I've seen people get this message in hotel rooms because there was some reason why it had to be done that way. They're at a conference or something's happening. I've even seen people fly in to a head office, a location or something like that. Most of the logic that goes into these decisions is what's convenient for the leader. And to our point about accountability, this is not a time when the leader's convenience and comfort should be at the center of this process. And so, like you said, the leader has signed on for some challenging stuff because they're the ones who were selected to be the leader. And so it should be the employee's convenience and comfort that should be really at the center of thinking about how we're going to manage this. Because of that, we can have some flexibility here. We can have sort of on a case-by-case basis, make some thoughtful decisions about how we want to exit someone from an organization that doesn't always have to look exactly the same. I get that we think about being consistent and do, but there are ways to do this. I mean, one of the things that I've often been upset to witness is you've been let go. And then now is this negotiation around your package. And it's suddenly penny pinching on behalf of the employer for often amounts that are less than a few thousand dollars. 
Like, don't make it worse. No employees trying to do a money grab at the end of when they're negotiating a severance. People want what's fair. Like organizations, especially those who make billions of dollars, and maybe those aren't fields that you and I have worked in, but certainly there are organizations who are laying off people, can afford to be slightly more than less generous and to be a little more thoughtful. So I think just on a very practical level, I think that's one thing organizations can do. I mean, leaders are under a lot of pressure. So I never want to give the impression I can get on a good soapbox rant about poor leadership practices. But the vast majority of leaders that I know and that I worked with are just under tremendous amounts of pressure. And these are difficult things for them to do to have these conversations, but they're not set up for success. So there are many times in which, as you said, the leader comes in with a pre-scripted thing and they don't want to have that pre-scripted conversation. They actually want to have an empathetic, connected conversation with the person. So I think we need to stretch a little bit into I'm not saying like go in with your tail between your legs. I'm so sorry, I have to let you go. Like, But it's like person to person. Yes, okay, the organization's made a decision, but we can find a way. Any conversation worth having is worth having well. And especially if it means the loss for the party that one of the parties in the conversation, I really think that organizations can really start thinking a lot about how to train, if you want to use training, how to ensure that their leaders can act as humane as possible in very tough situation. This really comes down to who do you want to be as an individual leader, but who do you want to be as an organization? And where I get a little and or slash a lot miffed is when organizations quick to splash their values on the wall. Respect, integrity, courage, inclusiveness. These are common ones. But when it comes right down to it, they don't live those values and how they let people go. And there's a line I love, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. So you can be a 90% fantastic employer and do really great things. But if your termination procedures are that 10% of totally suck, and that's kind of who you are, like that really says a lot about what you value in terms of people. So I think some alignment around organizational values and termination practices would be welcome. That's a really good point. How do you want to exit people from your organization that is in alignment with your values? That is a great question for an organization and organizational leaders to ask themselves and I and to rethink this practice, which I realize is not a small undertaking. Like this is something that we've come to feel is just the way things are done. And so I realize that I am going out there on a limb a little bit, and I'm asking organizations to stretch their thinking in this area quite a bit, but I absolutely believe that this, and in fact, it is done differently. It is done differently in other parts of the world. It's done differently in parts of Europe, not just for legal reasons, just because they don't want people at the door who have been there for 15 years and it's a business decision. It's not because of the individual and they just don't want to treat people that way. And this can happen to your point over a couple meetings. I think, again, if we go back to what we know about brain science, certainty, autonomy, choices. Where can we offer the employee some choice in this? It's not a choice whether to stay or go, but in terms of how this exit unfolds, how they want to leave, how they want it communicated. Do they want to be part of that? Especially in situations where we're talking about long-term employees who, again, have a solid performance record. Really, do we really want to be walking these people out the door? Can this not be a couple conversations? with the leader, with HR, maybe present for some or all of that, or maybe it's have a meeting with your leader. This is what's happening. Let's go home and think about it. How do you want to handle this? I want to work with you 
to talk about and come up with a strategy to manage your exit from this organization in a way that will be respectful to you, recognize your contributions, and in a way that takes into account the things that are important to you and matter to you as you leave this organization. Just, I had this, this little moment of remembering that in one of the jobs that I was laid off from, that message didn't go out. So people were coming to my office and of course I wasn't there anymore. People were like, well, where's Lisa? And people were like, well, we don't know. She hasn't been here for a few days. Wow. Like not even the dignity to the people remaining to let them know. Like that just said everything to me, further enshrined my not so great feelings about that previous employer. Like there's just some things that could be done a lot better. And I think, yeah, I agree with you on that. Like, and when people are like, oh, like telling the UVK, he's telling people once they're going to be let go. They're going to go postal to use that word, jump on the photocopier, take an ax to the <laughs> their ergonomic chair. People don't do that. Yeah, there's not a lot of precedent for that. Yeah. We handle one-off cases as you need to, but we've gotten to a place where it's like, well, we assume the absolute worst, absolute most extreme, and we treat everybody accordingly. And so there are ways to involve the person in that process. And it doesn't mean that, again, we're not offering a choice. Hey, you can stay or go. It's really about, let's talk about the changes that are happening in this organization, how it's impacting you, your role, the decisions made, if decisions final, but let's be inclusive and let's treat people with respect. Yeah. Let's talk about the how. Yeah, absolutely. And put more accountability on leaders to be involved in this process and be accountable for the people that they've hired and have been managing or that they've maybe inherited in some cases. They didn't maybe always uh, make that selection. There is a lot of opportunity here for improvement. And there are a lot of people out there who can consult with your organization on this. There are a lot of professionals in that space, me being one of them, you being another one, who can help your organization to do this in a way that is more reflective of the organization you want to be and the reputation that you want to have in the marketplace. And also, I will dare to say, to help you be more known as an employer of choice. Amen. Amen to that. All right. I think that's a wrap for today. I want to thank our listeners. Please do send us your comments to our website at workrevolutionpodcast.com. And we always love to hear from you. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a review. And follow the Work Revolution podcast on Instagram for more great content and updates about our work. In addition to two full episodes a month, we have a monthly Ask Us Anything, where we answer your questions about leadership, career maneuvering, and whatever workplace challenges you're facing. Submit your questions to our website at workrevolutionpodcast.com, where you'll find all our episodes as well as learn more about who we are. Thanks to Bernie at Blue Eye Music for our music theme and to the team at Poditize for production support. Until next time.